Varen has done a, what I think is a great job over the last couple of weeks of helping us think through the authenticity and the reliability of the Bible and helping us recognize that what we hold in our hands today is actually the Word of God and that it deserves a place as the rule of life for us who are seeking to follow God every single day. And so if that's going to happen, if the Bible is going to have a place of authority in our lives, then the words that are on those pages have to make their way from the pages into our head and our heart somehow. But for most of us, if we're really honest, we struggle. I struggle to find a way to consistently read the Bible on a regular basis. It's a challenge. We struggle to find a serene space. We struggle to carve out those extra minutes to actually have a quiet time to spend with God. I was raised in a church, uh, and I, like many of you, struggle at times with my approach and my motivation to read the Scripture. What I was taught on how to read the Bible was more of a CSI approach to the Scripture, Memorize lots of passages, take those passages and dissect them, pull them apart, get lots of information out of them, learn a lot of facts about them. And in that approach, those passages seldom touched my heart, seldom really changed me. In the end, that approach leaves us a lot like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who knew a lot of facts about Scripture. I mean, they could tell you by knowing all of these facts about the Bible, they could tell you the exact word that fell in the middle of every book of the Bible or the middle of the Bible itself. They could tell you if you named a word, how many times that word appeared in the Bible or how many times an individual letter of the alphabet appeared in the Bible. But in the midst of all of those facts, somehow they failed to capture the heart of God. Some of us treat the Bible like Wikipedia. And we go to it when we have a problem or a question. And we look for an answer. And that's okay. But then when life is good, we tend to ignore the good book. Or, if we're honest, there's a lot of us in the room that don't read much of anything at all. We don't read newspapers, we don't read magazines, we don't read novels. And so the idea of reading a book that's as challenging as the Bible, that's a tough thing to think about. Find yourself in any of that? Most of us do. And so it's not surprising at all that even though 25 million Bibles are sold every single year, the Bible largely remains America's favorite unopened bestseller. And if this book is really going to impact my life and yours, then we need more than a Sunday morning fix of Scripture. Because the point of reading the Bible isn't to get to know the book. The point of reading the Bible is to get to know the God who loved us and saved us. So if we're going to learn to read the Bible again, and if we're going to even learn to read the Bible for the first time, if we're honest for some of us, how do we do that? 
how do we make that transition from the Bible just being a book that sits on our shelf or a coffee table to something that really deeply impacts our lives? Well, let me just give you some thoughts on that. I think the first thing we have to do is we have to begin with the right heart as we approach the Scripture. If we claim to follow Jesus, then as Darren's talked about, the Bible must be the source of authority in our life. It's the only book that then has the right to tell us how we need to live. But if I sit down to read my Bible, then the words authority and submission really don't describe the experience that I want to have when I read. I don't think those words are wrong. That's just not the experience that I want to have when I read the Bible. I think the experience is totally different than the respect that I give to the Bible. So I want to illustrate that this morning, and I'm going to need some help. I looked around this morning. Is there anybody in the room that's under the age of, like, 14? Not mentally, but actually (laughs) under the age of 14. That ruled several of you out. Anybody that would come up and help me? Okay, so I'm going to have to take a real risk and invite an adult or a college student or somebody to come up and help me. It's not going to embarrass you, I promise you. Gosh, you all are so willing. Come on up. Come on, Danielle. And grab the bottle of honey that's on that chair. Do you like honey? I love it. Awesome. This will work really well. Okay, so hold out your hand. Just a finger. Not, boy, you're greedy. (laughs) So there goes the idea of not embarrassing her, right? So step over here. All right, so I'm going to put a drop of honey on your finger. Oh, that's a big one, so just keep it there. Okay, Okay? and I'm going to talk for an hour or so. All right, so just kind of keep it balanced. All right, so one of the best passages to illustrate what I want to talk about with this is Psalm 119. And when David describes the truth of God's word, you know all right there? I'm good. Good. What he said there is not, God, your words are authoritative, and I'm called to submit to them. That's not how he described God's word. That's how you describe a visit to your parole officer. Okay? Instead, David says words like, your words are delightful, and I'd love to do what you ask. And the difference between those two approaches is enormous. One of them is a description of, your, of the Bible itself, and it's completely accurate. The other is a description of your relationship to God which is also accurate, and both are necessary. Listen to how David describes his approach to the Bible. Okay, Here's what he says in Psalm 119. We'll put these up on the screen. I delight in your decrees. I'll not neglect your word. I delight in your commands, because I love them. The law from your mouth, God, is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Hanging in there? Okay. Now, the reason I have Danielle doing this is because of this. Jewish rabbis served for the children, the literal children of Israel, not just as their religious educators, but their school teachers too. And they would get kids who would come to the school at five, six, seven years old. And the very first thing on the first day of school that they would do is they would give them a piece of slate, rock. And that would become their writing tablet for the entire time that they were in school. And the first thing they would do when the kids got the tablet is they would coat the writing surface with honey. Honey wasn't as readily available then as it is to us. It was a delicacy, a rare treat. And so you can imagine these little kids' eyes lighting up, kind of like Danielle going, I love honey. 
you know, she approached it like this. Their eyes would light up when the tablet was coated with honey. And the rabbis would begin to talk about scriptures, just like I read from Psalm 119, about God's word and how precious it is and how wonderful it is and how beautiful it is. And then they would read a verse like this one from Psalm 119. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And then they'd look at the kids and say, now you can eat the honey that's on your tablet. So you you can go ahead and eat that honey now. Delicious. And you can have a seat. Thanks, Danielle. There's a paper towel there if you need it. Okay. That was the way that they taught those kids to approach God's word. It's this beautiful thing. It's this precious thing. It's sweeter than honey. It's more precious than gold and silver. You should long to hear God's word, to approach God's word that way. It's this special delicacy. And so when I sit down to read God's word, I don't think of it as this authoritative rule to my life and, oh my goodness, what am I going to learn that i got to do today? We approach it as this amazing book that we love to read. And so maybe the best way to do that is, to get our heart right, is to just start with a simple prayer that says, God, I love you. And I love your word. Open my eyes as I read to help me see what you'd have me see. Teach me. And if you're not there, just be honest. And just say, God, I want to love your word. Help me to do that. If you're not there, say, God, this book is really confusing to me. Help me understand it. But the starting point is this open, honest, sincere heart as we just open the Bible and begin to read so that God can teach us and mold us and shape us. Next, we have to start with a reasonable plan, which is really challenging for those of us that are type A, conquer the world, go after it, get it done, but a reasonable plan. My teen years were marked with fits and jerks of reading the Bible, largely because my pastor that I grew up with uh, would every January put the whole church on a major guilt trip. He would start the first Sunday in January just hammering us with, you know, you need to read your Bible every single day. And so, Being a good Christian kid, I would start in like the first Sunday in January going, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do it this year. And I would start in Genesis. And uh, around the first part of February, and I would remember because my birthday is in the first part of February, I would hit the book of Numbers. (laughs) And if you've never read the book of Numbers, uh, I mean, my reading plan and I would both die right around my birthday. (laughs) Book of Numbers is the best way to describe it to you is that it's like the census book of the Bible. It's full of a lot of begats and begets and begots, and it's just like this person's related to this person's related to this. There's not a storyline, a great storyline to it. There's some good stuff in it, but you really have to dig. And so it would die every February for me, and I'd just be filled with guilt, because the way the pastor talked about it was, you know, it made me feel like if I didn't do it, I was going to hell. Not like in the future, like right outside the church, there's a bus waiting, and you're going to get on it and go to hell today. I say that to say that sometimes what we start out with in our plan is really noble intentions, 
and we set ourselves up for failure. We start out with this sense of pride or maybe naivete, and it's just too much. So let's just kill that thought and be reasonable. And here's some simple thoughts about how to do that and make a fresh start. First, do it at a consistent time. When you read your Bible, set it up at a consistent time every time you do it. Make an appointment with God in your paper calendar, in your, you know, in your smartphone, in your tablet. Set an appointment with God. I have this consistent pattern in my life over the last 30 years that if I don't plan something, I don't do it. And I'll bet you're the same way. So make an appointment with God for three times or four times a week. Or if you're bent on being a type A personality, make it seven days a week. Write it in. You know, write God in your calendar. It'll impress people when they, you know, peek at your calendar. (laughs) Because if you write it in, you'll do it. And make it on the same time every day. And it will be helpful for you. Second, get an easy-to-read translation of the Bible. You'll notice that when we teach on Sunday mornings, we use either the New International Version, the New Living Translation, or the Message. Those are three that I'd recommend to you that you check out. They're very easy to read. They all have differences to them, but they're all very accurate. And so check out one of those three. Third, use whatever method or mode of reading the Bible that suits you best, whether that's a paper Bible, an electronic version, or an audio version. Now, Darren and I have a good banter going back and forth about this. He prefers the old-school paper Bible, and I prefer uh, reading on my iPad. We don't argue about it because he knows I'd win. (laughs) But personally, I like the electronic version better because I have my Bible with me everywhere I go, whether it's on my smartphone or my tablet. I like reading on my iPad. But bottom line, use what works for you. And if you go digital, I'd recommend one of these two programs. We're going to put them up on the screen, and then, Eric, if you'll leave them up for a minute so if anybody wants to write them down, they can, uversion.com or biblegateway.com. And I love it because they have multiple translations, literally dozens, and then Uversion, at least, has it in hundreds of languages if you have friends that don't speak English. I dare you to find a language that your friends speak fluently that isn't there. And what's best about both of them is they're free. It doesn't cost you a dime. And there's reading plans there and lots of tools to help you. And on both of them, at least in the, the New International Version, it will read the Bible to you. I didn't used to think that was a big deal. But I got really convicted about that this week. And one of the resources that I was reading said that out of 216 million Americans, American adults, 216 million adults, nearly half have a low enough literacy rate that they have trouble reading. 104 million Americans. So much so that their proficiency rate limits them so that all they can do is find a show in the TV guide or compare tickets on public transportation to make sure they're getting on the right train or bus. 104 million Americans. And so if I stand up here this morning, and that's you, and all I say is, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, all it's going to do is heap shame and guilt on you, because you can't do that. 
So I want you to know that the Bible says in Romans, Paul says, (laughs) faith comes by hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. For centuries, people listened to the Bible as it was read to them, and they developed a strong faith. In fact, it wasn't until 400 years ago that King James commissioned the first Bible that was available into the hands of the common man. So it hasn't been, except for recently in 400 years of Christian history, the pastor stood in front of people and said, you need to read your Bible. So there is no shame in using an audio version of the Bible on CD or online and having the Bible read to you. The important thing is being into the Bible and it being into you. And whether you read or listen to the Bible, the important thing is to read less and meditate more. I'm not one of those big proponents of sitting down and reading four, five, six chapters at a time. It's possible to encounter a torrent of God's truth without absorbing and applying anything. And you're no better for that experience. So read a chapter or a part of a chapter or just a few verses and let it sink in deeply and shape you. Above all, remember, God's love for us doesn't rise or fall with the consistency of our quiet time. So if you miss a day, don't berate yourself. Just pick it up again tomorrow and move on. Because the more you're in God's Word, the more obedient you'll be, and the more God will direct and guide your life. Next, when you do read the Bible, when you're into the Word, do it with a spirit of expectation. Expect God to shape you. Expect God to tell you something about your life. Expect Him to change you. The Bible isn't shy about making claims about itself, about the kind of book it is, about the impact it'll have on your life. Just look at three examples. Paul says to the young man, Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. Then Luke writes in the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is alive and active. It's not some dead book lying on your shelf. It's alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I've been reading the Bible and had something going on in my life, and had the Bible just cut me right to the quick and go, this is what your attitude's about. This is what your intentions are about. This is what your motives were about. And I just go, oh man. I was wrong in that conflict. I was wrong in that disagreement. Paul said in Romans, the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Need any hope or encouragement in your life these days? With bold claims like that, it's fair for us to expect God to speak to us through the Bible's pages every time we open it, to expect God to change us, to shape us, to shape our values and belief, which in in turn will shape our habits and our behaviors. Hmm. You know, in my family, we share this one unique and unpleasant character trait. We share a lot of them, but I'll talk about this one. We all seem to have to eat at a consistent time for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
And if we don't, we get grumpy. Anybody with me on that? And I'm not talking about just mildly. We get really mean grumpy if we don't eat at a consistent time. And it's not usually something that happens with people outside the family. We manage to control ourselves. But with family, we get mean grumpy if we don't eat on time. So once we've had a meal and our blood sugar levels out, we're back to being the wonderful people that we always are. But we absolutely have to eat on a consistent schedule every single day or we turn into Mr. Grumpy Pants. Every one of us does. And uh, it's just this weird thing in our family. But we've learned that weird is what family's all about. So we're okay with that. Uh, I have learned in my life that the Bible is for the soul what food is for the body. And if I'm not in the Bible on a consistent basis, my soul suffers. I've experienced in my life that reading the Bible, honestly, makes me a better person. When I'm reading the Bible consistently, my anger and control issues that I fight with don't affect me as much. I treat my wife better when I'm reading the Bible. I treat my kids and my grandkids better. I'm a better listener when I'm reading the Bible. I enjoy my work more and I go at it with more energy when I'm reading the Bible more. And it's not necessarily that what I'm reading has to do with those subjects. It's just simply that I've spent time with God and He's making me a better person. And I don't understand that all. I just know it to be true over the 40 years that I've been following Him. The last thing I'll say is this. Encouragement helps. Anytime we're starting a new skill or a habit, having someone do it with us, encouraging us, makes a huge difference. And it doesn't matter what the skill or the the project is. If it's losing weight, if it's running a marathon, whatever the skill is, it helps to have someone doing it with you. And so we're going to try this together at Westridge. We're actually launching a new series in two weeks here on the first Sunday in February based on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians has only six chapters, and we're going to teach through it in eight weeks. Okay? So we're going to try to read through that together as a church. That's not a tough challenge. Six chapters in eight weeks. So it's not like we're saying we're going to read through the whole New Testament in eight weeks. We're going to do six chapters in eight weeks. And we're asking you to read that together. And here's how it's going to work. It's a reasonable plan. Okay? It's like riding a bike with training wheels. You can do this. I believe in you. And we're going to do some encouraging of each other with it. So a couple of times each week, we're going to send out an email or we're going to post on Facebook what the passage is that we're going to be teaching from the following Sunday. And we're going to do some encouragement on, in those emails with some devotional thoughts and some questions to think about. Uh, and there will be a link to version, so you just click on the link and go right to the passage so that you can listen to it or read it. And that will all start the week of February 4th. And the encouragement, you can get a, be a part of that in one of two ways. In the program, there's information about how to, to get on our Facebook page. And if you just 
or if on that Facebook page, you'll know when that, you can just watch Facebook and it'll pop up that week of February 4th, and you can join the dialogue that's going to go on there. If you're not on Facebook, why not? But you can sign up at guest services and just write out your name and your email, and we'll put you in a list and we'll send that to you via email if you're not on Facebook, or you can take the card that's in the program this morning, that tan card, and print clearly... We've gotten information from some of you, and it looks like you're practicing to write doctor's prescriptions. Print clearly your name and your email, and then at the top of the, the info card, just write Bible reading, and that way we'll know that you want to be a part of that group. And we'll email you that same devotional thought and those questions twice a week, starting February the 4th. And the goal here is to help all of us engage in a reasonable plan to begin to read the Bible together. And we'll just see what God does in our lives if we make a fresh start at reading the Bible together. And I think the encouragement will help us tremendously. Now let me just bring this to a close. This week I was, I came across a story of a man who at his retirement decided to invest this newfound free time in reading the Bible. He set a goal for himself of reading the Bible through in the first year of his retirement, from Genesis to Revelation. At the end of his first year of retirement, he was amazed at how easy that goal was. And so he thought, just up the ante a little bit. I've got a lot of free time on my hand, on my hands, so why don't I read the Bible through in a month? That's a big challenge. If you've never tried, that's a huge challenge. But he did it. He read the Bible through in a month. And in those two readings, just one of those quirky little things that stuck in his mind was the number 144 was kind of this biblical number that just stuck with him. And the more he thought about it, he thought, you know, I read the Bible through in a month. There's 12 months in a year, and if I read the Bible once a month for a year... And I did that for 12 years. That'd be 144 times I'd read the Bible in 12 years. And so he set that for a goal for himself. That's an ambitious Bible reading goal. And he did it. He read the Bible through once a month for 12 years, 144 times. I've never known anybody to be that immersed in Scripture. I've never done that. But here's the irony. The story went on to say that the reporter interviewed his nephew at his funeral. The nephew said, my uncle died shortly after finishing that goal. And he was the meanest, bitterest son of a gun you could ever wish to meet. And it's the tragic story of too many Christians and too many churches. But it doesn't have to be that way. The story doesn't have to end like that. Because it's possible for us to experience the unpredictable sharp edge of Scripture that Hebrews talks about. It's possible for us to experience the power that's there in the Bible because it's still there. And the Bible can still act as a meeting place between earth and heaven. It has the inbuilt capacity to thrust us into the presence of God every time we read it. God gave us the Bible 
not so that we can know this list of random facts. He gave us the Bible so that we can know and love him through it. And when we get that right, when we realize that's the purpose of this book, the word authority is swallowed up in a loving relationship with God. And submission is engulfed in the disposition of listening to God speak through the Bible and simply obeying what he says.